Hey, you're listening to the Cancer Fit Podcast. Welcome back to the Cancer Fit Podcast. This is episode two, and today I have a very special guest, Shelly Cannon, who is a fellow powerlifter and cancer survivor. Shelly, thank you so much for doing this. I appreciate you. Thanks for having me. Oh, by all means. I just want to take a quick second to thank Alan Pilly, uh, CTX Fitness Orlando, for letting us use his office for this podcast. That was a big favor. So, Shelly, just introduce yourself, tell me about yourself, and just tell us a little bit about where you grew up and, and what you what got you into powerlifting. Uh, so, I grew up in New Smyrna Beach, local forever. I mean, I moved yeah. away for a little bit, but always come back here. My fitness stuff kind of started in, well, all through school, I was kind of a tomboy. I don't, I don't feel right if I'm not moving my body in some way. It's my outlet. <laughs> well, right, yes. um, and then I started with bodybuilding uh, early on, uh, I'm going to say 10 years ago now, Okay. and as much as I loved it because I really liked giving myself a challenge and, and proving to myself I could do things, there was something missing because it wasn't so much measurable results. Um, so after I'd gone to nationals a couple times with that, it was a break and I, I got to actually train for fun and not just according to this prescription, rep after rep of the same thing, and it was like, well, let me go try this powerlifting gym in Daytona. And the first time I was, I felt so strong and I didn't, I didn't know how strong I was and I kept just adding weight and I got to like 350 box squat my first time. And which, which gym? That's this good. was Elite. Oh, okay. Elite okay. in Daytona. Okay. Rich Pin- Pinelli. Yep. Yep. So I was like, wow, was that good? Cause I don't even know what good is. You know, and he's <laughs> like, uh, yeah, you probably just beat a couple state records. I'm like, let's do this. This is my favorite. This is my new favorite thing. Wow. Yeah. And then, uh, so I ended up going over to Brian Schwab's OBB, yep. started training with him for a while. Hello, Brian. Yep, did my first meet there and uh, got best lifter and was just hooked for life. Hooked for life. I know what you mean. So (laughs) let me go back. You said 10 years ago as far as bodybuilding. How old were you when you started bodybuilding? Uh, 30. It was my 30th birthday myself. Wow. So let's go back even further. Let's say middle school, high school. What sports? You said you're kind of tomboy. So did you play sports or what kind of activities did you do? Back I, as a kid. I had basketball for years and then a little soccer and then cheerleading and I did some cheerleading into college. Okay. Cool. Now and college, just cheerleading you say? Mm-hmm. Okay. And then pretty much right after that. I had a personal trainer because my first job out of high school was um, selling Santana oil on pool decks. Oh wow. So yeah. <laughs> I had to be in perfect shape for that. Yes, so I traveled okay. around the country, like they dropped me in oh, really? Vegas oh, for a couple wow. months and then, you know, wherever, Hilton Head, you know, that kind of thing. Um, so I really had to look good and I mean, that was fun. It was cool watching my body transform and, and seeing what it could do that way. But I wasn't really fully fulfilled until I could see what it, it could do strength wise. Right. Oh, I know exactly what you mean. <laughs> I mean, me personally, I started off in powerlifting. Mm-hmm. Um, when I first, I was always, uh, athletic as a kid, you know, sports all the way through high school. And I moved to Florida in 86 and, uh, I, I had no idea that the sport of powerlifting existed. Mm-hmm. You know, I knew there was the world's strongest man, you watch like Bill Kazmaier and all those guys on TV, but I had no idea the sport existed. So I went to a gym and uh, 
same thing. They got me in the powerlifting, and they said, hey, we're going to have you do your first contest. I was scared to death. I mm-hmm. uh, got third place, but same thing. I was hooked. That was my life. I was like, this is this is me mm-hmm. for the rest of my life. I love it. So active in, in high school sports, started bodybuilding, started powerlifting. And so you were how old when you started powerlifting then? Let's roughly? See, probably 34 maybe. Okay, yeah. 34. Mm-hmm. So besides work and powerlifting, that's pretty much been your whole lifestyle. Yeah. Um, I mean, I did a stint of like seven years of hot yoga. In between there. Okay. Uh, like, <laughs> right but you're before. always active. Yeah, exactly. You're always active. Mm-hmm. Okay. What what led you to the doctor or for your diagnosis for, for breast cancer? What what brought you to that part? Well, I first felt a lump, like, I want to say six years ago. But I just thought, well, I went to the doctor for it. And they were pretty much saying, oh, stay away from chocolate and caffeine. It's just you have some fibrous tissue going on there or whatever. We'll keep an eye on it. So every six months, they give me another mammogram, which... At 30, you know, like early 30s, really shouldn't be doing. Right. So basically what they're doing is smashing these cells and radiating the hell out of them every six months. Um, So I've I've talked to some people since, and, you know, you hear different opinions all over the place. But the consensus I'm hearing is that I really shouldn't have been smashing and radiating my breast cells and that my body would have probably eradicated it on its own without doing that. That's what I'm told. Um, But I, I tested negative for the genes for it. You know, so it's still kind of a mystery where it came from but then um, it kept getting bigger and I finally went back to my gynecologist and was like can you just look at this I really don't feel like this is right it shouldn't be this big and he ordered a biopsy and we did that and I got the call two years ago yesterday saying "Uh, you have breast cancer which was a complete shock of course so the call you got the call on the phone it wasn't like you were in front of the doctor no I was on the phone yeah holy crap I bet that was just... So where were you at? I was at work. (laughs) Really? Yeah, and I just kind of froze, like, uh... (laughs) (laughs) What do I do now? Exactly. How am I supposed to react to this? (laughs) Yeah, I know what you mean. Me, personally, I was at the doctor. So I know when I got my diagnosis, I had... uh, Just a real quick story. I was in super denial when I had my symptoms. I had a huge lump run out the side of my neck, and I thought it was just maybe an inflamed lymph node or something that just had nothing to do with cancer. And I have a big family history of cancer. Mom, dad, my nephew, aunts and uncles, you name it. So I went to an urgent care and they said it might have been cat, cat scratch fever. And I thought that's ridiculous. But then my mom was like, well, if it's that, I don't have cancer. Mm-hmm. So finally went and got tested or went to my doctor. He sent me out for tests and went to the imaging place and did the ultrasound, CAT scan, all that stuff. So I picked up the results before I went to my appointment. And the worst thing I could do was read them. Of course, everything's over my head as far as the description, but they kept saying, like, possible, uh, oh, I forget the word they use, but it meant cancer. Malignant. Malignant. Possible malignancy. That's what it was. Possible malignancy. And I'm thinking, oh, man, I cried in the car all the way home. I'm still in denial. I'm thinking, there's no way I got cancer. I've been healthy all my life. I've been active all my life. There's no way this is going to affect me. So sitting in front of the doctor, and he's saying, okay, we're going to order a CAT scan. We're going to order all these blood tests, x-rays, this and that. EKG, and I stopped him. I said, EKG? I said, what do I need that for? He said, that's to make sure your heart can take the the chemo. I said, chemo? I said, are you telling me I have cancer? He said, yeah. Oh, that's how he told you? That's how he told me. And nobody, and of course, you know, maybe it's just a guy thing, but I was in such denial the whole time. I was like, there's no way I can have cancer. So, of course, it probably took a day or two to set in, and then we went through with, uh, you know, setting up the uh, chemotherapy and all that stuff. 
to you now. You had your diagnosis. Mm-hmm. Then what? Well, he told me on the phone, and I just remember kind of going silent. And he's just like, I'm so, so sorry to have to make this call. And I remember apologizing to him, like, I'm sorry you had to make this call. Like, I can't imagine having to make that call. <laughs> and then I was just kind of stunned. And uh, my ex-husband is one of my partners in my firm. And he came in, and he saw this, like, stunned look on my face. And he's like, are you okay? And I said, I don't know. And I said, what's going on? He said, I, I have cancer. And he goes breast cancer and I said yeah and he goes oh well no one dies from that anymore and he just walked out oh my gosh so that's what got me actually his reaction I just cried my eyes out but then I just pulled it together and was like okay he's just him <laughs> like so you you had an office by yourself you weren't I was, I was about to ask what your work environment was like if you were in the middle of a bunch of people or no I do have my own office in the oh, corner um, but people thing. are always in and out and like throughout all this probably three different people came in and out you know it, it was kind of chaos and I, I just was processing so much so I took a minute to like react to his reaction. <laughs> yeah. Then I pulled back and I was like, okay. So I te- I texted a couple people that were closest to me. I was like, sorry to text something so big. Uh, I'm not up to talking on the phone, but here we are. And they just said, um, what time do you get off work? We'll meet you at your house. So I had three people meet me at my house with a bottle of champagne. <laughs> and we sat in the hot tub and drank champagne and we toasted life. Oh, wow. And having people that love you and the strength to get through it because of the support system, which yeah. I think is the biggest component. It is. It's yeah. huge. And I, I'm going to tell you another thing about me, and it's probably a kind of the guy thing. When I first got diagnosed, I thought, I'm by myself. I'm doing this by myself. There's nobody else. Mm-hmm. And you know it's not true. Yeah. But in your own head, you're the one going through it at the time. So I'm like, what am I going to do? And I actually had a, a – I've never met this guy. He worked at uh, Roots to Go where I worked in the warehouse. And uh, he sought me out, I guess he heard through the grapevine, and he sought me out, he introduced himself, and he was a two-time survivor. Mm-hmm. And it just made me, it opened my eyes, I'm like, yeah, there are other people, I'm not the only one going through this. And he, he was a huge factor in accepting the path that I was about to take, mm-hmm. you know, with treatment and everything. And that's what made me really want to start reaching out to, you know, other patients and survivors and let them realize there's there's more to life than just this treatment. You still have a life to live. Yeah. You, you still have much to do yet, so don't stop fighting or give up. So after you finally kind of came to terms with it, what was your next step? Well, um, I'm a researcher. <laughs> so <laughs> I did a lot of research, and I'm also more open to things that aren't the mainstream treatments. I wanted to make sure that I've turned over every rock to make right. sure that I'm doing this the smartest way possible. So um, one of my doctors actually suggested this test, the Oncotype test, which tests the DNA of the tumor itself. Oh, wow. And um, I, of course, was on board, even though you had to pay more money for it and whatever, and I'm like, why doesn't everyone have this test? So part of it is it tests how well it will respond to chemo, and another part is how likely it is to come back. And I had a low likelihood of it coming back and also a low likelihood of it responding to chemo. So I chose no chemo. And based on that test, I also chose no radiation um, because I was already going to have damage where they removed the lymph nodes in my armpits. So right. I, I didn't, I know that radiation also causes a lot more damage to that whole area and can also cause thyroid cancer and all kinds of other things. Yeah, so, which is primarily a, a female cancer, right? thyroid cancer. Right. Well, they radiate right <laughs> here. So it's right on the you know chest. So right it's right near area. the thyroid. Yep. Yeah. Um, so I, I went against medical advice on that one. I, they, the doctors wanted me to do radiation, and I chose to not based on 
what data I had been given. Right. But I did go to a natural cancer treatment program at Hippocrates Wellness Center in South Florida. Okay. It's normally a three-week program. I could not afford three weeks because it's not covered by insurance, so I did two weeks. But it's an intensive program. There were eight hours a day of studying. Wow. And just learning how to um, tell when you're in these levels of stress and how to get yourself out of it because stress just weakens your immune system so much. And there were, there were, let's see, 13 people in the program, and six of them were terminal, as in, like, we'll die in a couple weeks, and this was their last chance. chance. And uh, so it's a raw vegan program. It's very intense. (laughs) And where's it located at? Um, This is in Boca. uh, Okay. Or West Palm, somewhere in there. Okay. (laughs) Yeah. I actually, um, I was so impressed by how good I felt coming out of there that I decided to, I'm signed up with them, like I, I think I can get a discount for people if they want to go. Oh, well. Referral. Yeah, I'll have to get you that information at some yeah, point. I haven't, yeah, I haven't really looked into it since. That's okay. <laughs> but, um, so anyway, I knew that I had to get a mastectomy um, because I was a, well, once they got in, they found that I was a, a three. Stage three? Stage three. Okay, yeah. Yes, yes. So they not only had to take out all the breast tissue, but also a lot of lymph nodes to make sure that I was clear. You know, all the tests, they said that my lymph nodes weren't infected, but once they got in there, they took out 12 lymph nodes. Really? Yeah, I was really actually angry about it because I said, can you please take out as few as possible? Right. Um, they took out 12 just to make sure that, that it wasn't infected, but meanwhile, they only found three that were infected, and so I was really frustrated. So all the extra for nothing. Yeah. Oh, I got you. Um, and the hardest part of the recovery after mastectomy, besides waking up, and having half of you, <laughs> half of your chest missing, like that was, that was kind of a shock. I hadn't prepared myself for that. Very well. um, but the the other part was just the pain from where they took out the lymph nodes. Like I couldn't lower my arm at all. I had to walk everywhere with a big pillow under my arm. There was no pain in the chest because they had taken out all my nerves. Like they severed them, so I couldn't feel that. I could only feel the lymph nodes under my armpit. Um, so it was really. For maybe I'd say a week and a half of just like it was on fire, like wow. fire ants, and I'm on all these stupid painkillers, and I hate painkillers, and I'm trying to wean off, but meanwhile I cannot do anything with this arm. So I had a friend bring me t- uh, it is a injectable anti-inflammatory that a lot of people use before meat Toradol. Okay. So um, I remember I was about to go to sleep, and I can't sleep at night because it burns so much, and they gave me the Toradol shot. And I said, give me my painkiller. I woke up in the morning, the pain was gone, and it never came back again. Wow. It was a miracle. That's and I'm amazing. like, I'm calling out the doctors and telling them, you need to tell people about this. You need to give people this. Because I wasn't, I couldn't even sleep without, you know, now it's yeah. gone completely. Uh, so that was a miracle. <laughs> After that, it was pretty easy. I mean, they put in a, a tissue expander, and I had to keep going back every few weeks and getting it filled with more saline to, like, get the tissue ready for an implant to, to uh, fill in the space. Okay. That was weird, watching it, like, grow in front of your eyes every week. <laughs> really weird. Wow. Um, but here's where I had a really big setback. I fell asleep with a heating pad under my arm. Um, but the, it wasn't even, like, a heating pad that you plug in. It's one of those that you heat up in the microwave. Oh, yeah, yeah. Because it, it would... Either ice or heat, right? Yeah, it would relieve the pain from the nerves underneath my arm. Right. Um, and, but the thing is, I guess, because there was no breast tissue there, um, when I fell asleep, it scorched my skin. Like, it really? gave me a um, really bad burn. No way. So, it, it set back my reconstruction surgery because I had to wait for it to heal. And it took, like, a month and a half to heal. It was really bad. It was wow. really bad. And the thing is, I didn't feel it because there's no nerves there. Right, so, I just right. slept right through it. Um, I'm really frustrated about that. That's, like, my biggest regret <laughs> throughout this whole thing was that. 
I use that stupid eating pad. But you got through it. Yeah, yeah. You got through it. But yeah. I'm like you though. I want I want to go back to the pain pill thing. Yeah. I I just I don't even know if there's a word strong enough that I hate taking because they always prescribe uh, either the oxy or whatever, and it makes me feel horrible. Yeah, it's awful. And honestly, I and maybe it's just me. It doesn't work as well as an ice pack and some Motrin. Yeah. Or ibuprofen. And, my, and I, I feel way better. But when I take the Oxy or what's the other one I always scratch? Percocet or something? So it's like the Percocet generic or whatever it's called. The one that uh, Dua. Yes, that's the Motrin. Dilaudid. That yes. one works for me every now and then. Really? <laughs> I just They just make me feel spacey. And I can't oh, I stand it. that where I'm not in control like that. Mm-hmm. Nauseous kind of. So I always, I maybe take one just to kind of get ahead of the pain mm-hmm. whenever I had to, and then I would just chuck the rest and just stay on one motor or aspirin or, or whatever. Yeah. I can't stand pain medication. That reminds me, there's one pain medication that I have a really bad reaction to, and that was the one they gave me, of course. <laughs> of course. Um, so the first day, I get home, and I'm all stitched up, and I'm scared to move because I don't want to, like, bust a stitch or something. Oh, yeah. And then I took my pain med, and then all of a sudden I was going to vomit. And I'm, like, Ugh. terrified that I'm going to puke and like rip gonna, yeah. everything out. So I'm like, oh, God, oh, God, I'm panicking. <laughs> and my friend Mary had come to take care of me. She's a um, PA, thankfully. So she's calling them, like, we need something else, and we also need some Finnergan because I was going to – I was so sick. Yeah. So we got the nausea to subside without me <laughs> ripping a stitch. Wow. And it was pretty much smooth sailing after that. But that's, that whole treatment you just described, I mean, uh-huh. that, to me, that's so brave to just, you know, doctors are saying we need to do this and do that. Uh-huh. And you took a stand. And I, I've i noticed that in the last couple of years, I guess, because I'm the same as you. Even though I'm through with my episodes and treatment and everything, I still like to do a lot of research. And I see more and more people trying to make that transition over to a natural remedy uh-huh. or cure as opposed to just standard well, so many times the, the regular hospital prescription comes with more bad side effects than the benefits that it helps. Oh, so like, gosh, those commercials make me so mad. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so the natural things had less, way less side effects, so that's, you know. Yes. It, but I was following medical advice, too. Like, it's just that you don't have to do exactly everything that they're suggesting. There are other ways, you know, and right. a lot of people don't have that confidence to do that. I feel like that was the scariest part was that I had to make these decisions and right. I didn't know anything. You know, like, what is chemo? How much? There's so many different kinds oh and like, gosh, yeah. it's overwhelming and you get this level of stress that's high and it's hard to explain, but oh, you, I know exactly. <laughs> just knowing that this decision is on your hands yep. and that it's, it could be life or death yeah. decision. And even day to day, every stress is heightened because of it. So yeah. the littlest thing can set you off. What well, has one job? Yeah. kill you. Yeah. And that's it. And no matter where, breast cancer, thyroid, mm-hmm. uh, you know, me personally, I had the, uh, the lumps on my neck and I had a spot on my liver. Mm-hmm. So you were saying you had stage three. My lumps were stage two due to the number of, of nodules in there, nerve mm-hmm. lumps or tumors. And then the, the liver made it a stage four since it was uh, a major organ. Yeah. So, of course, you hear stage four, you're like, I'm at the end. Mm-hmm. You know, and like you say, you know, you're trying to make a decision. The doctors are giving you advice. I'm sure you probably had family and friends yeah. do this, do that. You know, take, drink lemon juice and drink yeah. it. <laughs> That'll take care of it. And when, when at the end of the day, it's still your body and your life. Mm-hmm. And that's, you know, hey, I, I love life. I love to laugh. I like to live. I love to power live. You know, mm-hmm. I'm not done yet. So it, it was a lot of prayer and a lot of, 
you know, trust mm-hmm. to, to make those decisions. So I, I, that's very brave, I mean, really, to, to go off on that path and, and choose that and, and live. Mm-hmm. Well, I had, um, I have a lot of good people around me, too, that I can bounce stuff off of, and even if they have a, a differing opinion, it still helps me to fulfill fill all the, the dots <laughs> in my data right. to make my decision. So I, have a, I'm, I get a lot of smart people in my life. That, <laughs> you know, and I can't stress that enough. Uh, like I say, I tried to go it alone, and I realized that's stupid. That's just selfish and stupid. Mm-hmm. you got to have support. you got to have not just your family and friends, but you know, you gotta maybe consult outside sources like you did mm-hmm. and find out what else is out there. Treatment. The doctors are trained, and I'm not taking anything away from them, but they have their specific treatments that they're told to do, mm-hmm. or that they have to do. So it's very brave to go to an outside source and say, hey, what are your options? Mm-hmm. What can you do for me? And what's your success rate? Yeah. You know, it's not about, oh, well, I've tried this, whatever, and it never works. You know, you gotta have a success rate to, to be confident in that it's gonna work for you and, mm-hmm. and help your situation also. So what, what other like little tips and tricks did you use throughout, I mean, besides your medication and this and that, what, I mean, was there other little tips and tricks that you used to get through the pain or the whatever? I, I'm lucky to have a pretty high pain tolerance and then also... Well doing this, yes. Yeah, that's another <laughs> thing, like, so I've trained it over the years, yes. I can take pain. Yes. Um, but the fact that, I think a lot of people are so scared about mastectomies that it's going to hurt so much, but that didn't hurt at all. Because they cut all my nerves. Right. It just felt like weird. <laughs> Same way with my, my thyroid. I'm uh-huh. still, when I when I shave right here on the neck, I can't feel it. Uh-huh. There's pressure, and I, I know it's pressure, but I cannot feel it. It's the weirdest thing. It's like mm-hmm. just numb right there, like when you get your teeth worked on or whatever. Yeah. And I don't know if that will ever you well, know, recover. I have, I have similar. Um, my left arm, like underneath, is is still numb. Um, my lat on my left, left on the top is still numb. My whole left breast is still numb. But... The funny thing is, it's recovering more, like as I've done the comeback to lifting, mm-hmm. it's recovering and being stronger faster than my right side. Wow. So I don't know if it's because it's growing new nerve endings and new blood supply, it's like all fresh, or what, it's pretty fascinating to me. I wonder if it's your your left arm just doesn't recognize discomfort or stress. So it goes further. And it just goes, yeah, because you're not really, you know, your brain's not really picking that up because the, the nerve damage or whatever. Now, how, does that affect your lifting or training at all? Surprisingly not. I really thought it would, but like I'm saying, my left is picking up stronger than my right, so. <laughs> now, yeah. I want to go back a little bit. Going through your diagnosis to your research, to your treatment and everything, how much time did you still spend training and exercising? <laughs> well, a week after my mastectomy. Oh, and I, I trained all the way up to it, but okay. um, it just... I needed it. I needed to train. It felt good. It put, always put me in a good mood. It really, it's like a moving meditation. You have to focus on so many things when you're going to a lift that that is all you can think about. So it really blocks out the negative stuff. So it, it saved me throughout preparing for my surgery. After surgery, um, mostly because I couldn't really do anything with my arm. Um, a week after I went to the gym and I started training my right side because I had done research. Yes showing that it'll keep the left strong, you know, the other yep. side strong. There's a word for it, and I can't think of it right now. Yeah, it's a but good word, But I did the same too. thing when I had my <laughs> shoulder surgery. I had rotator cuff repair. Uh-huh. I did the same thing. Went worth everything else but. Mm-hmm. So, but there's what, a word for that, and I cannot think of what it is offhand. Yeah, it's going to bug me. Um, but I love, I loved feeling strong still on one side. It gave me, I don't know, just some kind of hope. That, Encouragement, purpose, yeah, or whatever. Like, <laughs> yeah. 
No, that I, I was doing mean. something to save that guy. That I wasn't just helplessly laying there while it rotted away. That I was actually contributing to it recovering faster. Yes, yes. I wish, I cannot think of the word. I'll probably think of it when we're done here. But uh, there is a, it's a scientific correlation between, mm-hmm. you know, the two sides of your body where you work one and it directly affects the other one. Mm-hmm. It's still a little bit slow to come back, but it's much quicker as if you hadn't done anything at all. Right, exactly. So, so... And I always ask people this, and I'm sure I know your answer, but between physical aspect of going through the diagnosis and treatment or the mental, which one do you think is harder or the, the, the worst one to deal with? I would say mental. I'm sure most people do. And that's, yes, <laughs> I, said, I said that. And like we talked about before we, we started this, you know, I'm on Facebook and Instagram, a couple different you know, thyroid groups and lymphoma groups and cancer groups. And it's the same thing recurring. Everybody, it's their mental battle that mm-hmm. they're dealing with, like the waiting for the diagnosis, getting your test, and you got to wait a week for the diagnosis or the, the results or whatever. Mm-hmm. And it's that constant what if, what if, what if. You know, you're constantly putting yourself in that worst case scenario mm-hmm. and everything. I don't know if you did that. But yeah. Know. Well, the funny thing is, though, I'm a weird one, is that <laughs> death, <laughs> death never scared me, even when I was a little kid. Right. Like, if I thought I was going to die, like, I thought someone was breaking into the house and I'm laying in bed, I'm scared. And I would say, oh, well, okay, worst case scenario, he kills me, I'm dead, no big deal, and, and this is over with. Like, don't freak out. And then I would calm myself. Wow. So, like, I know that's weird. It's totally not all. But going through, like, getting the, the n- news of the cancer, like, when my ex had said, well, no one dies of that anymore. <laughs> like, that still cracks me out. Everyone that I talked to, even in the cancer program or whatever, none of them were afraid of dying. It right. wasn't about that. It was about suffering. Oh, okay. I see what you're saying. Yeah. So even now, I'm not afraid to die. Like it, the thought of being, you know, your mortality just being shoved in your face, I feel like makes you appreciate things more, and yes. it makes you look at things more um, big picture. Yeah. And surrounding yourself by people that you actually want to spend time with, and don't do things out of obligation, and like able to design your life the way that you want. And this is an insight that's a gift from cancer that I think people often overlook. Yeah, I agree. Um, I agree. Most people focus on the negative. Yeah. And instead of looking at, and, and I embraced it, you know, I'm like, mm-hmm. hey, bring it on. Because I beat you once. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to do it again. And, or even if it is your first time through, you know, embrace that fight and mm-hmm. show, bring out what's really in your heart and in your gut. Well, well I remember thinking, I'm going to make this look easy. Watch me. And I'm like, this is, <laughs> is going to be another one of those things that I get through and I'm fine. Yes. Actually, better than I was before. And that was, that's always been my mantra going through my head is that I'm going to get through this better than before. Yeah. And that's, since I just benched more than I did before my cancer, there I've actually... Maybe <laughs> those chemicals or whatever. <laughs> yeah, one, one foot ahead. Um, so the stress to me was about suffering, paying for it, um, and making big decisions. Yes. Those were my decisions, um, the things that bothered me the most. And I, was, I had a, some things going on too, like right before my diagnosis, I had gone through a breakup with... Danny. Oh, wow. So we had spent almost a year apart at this point. Well, gotcha. six months. And he was where my heart was, and I was not dealing with that well. Then someone jumped into my life right away, and, you know, I've I've been in love with you for months, or for years. I've been, you know, following <laughs> you. you know, like, he just kind of jumped in, and I was like, rebounding. I needed some support there, and I kind of went right into it. Wow. And jumped in, and he took care of me through my mastectomy, takes me to camp cancer wellness program, drops me off, and then breaks up with me and says he can't ever talk to me again because it's too hard. What? 
Yeah, so I'm dealing with, oh like, so much in addition to just that. And I was just, like, devastated. Like, I, I was more confused than anything because he had been so perfect up to then and taking such good care of me. But I think he could just tell I was still in love with Danny, you know. Like, I got you. <laughs> I don't blame him for that, and I appreciate him taking care of me through it. But it was just another punch in the gut. Like, no doubt. Seriously, right now, like, I'm almost done with this. <laughs> all the worst timing in the world. Yeah. And I had just, because I couldn't afford all this, I just bought an electric car, um, the Nissan Leaf. I was on the waiting list for that new Tesla. Oh, yeah. Because I'm driving so much. I live in Deltona. Worked in worked out in Orlando. I worked in Daytona. I'm all over. And then all of my doctors were in Orlando. Yeah. So I'm like, if I do this electric car, it charges at home. I don't have to pay for all this gas. And I get it, and it's not at all what I thought it was. It only gets about a 70-mile range. So I was stranded on the side of the road probably at least four times. No way. Coming back from cancer appointments. And I'm, I'm basically having an emotional breakdown on the side of the road. This runs out of juice. Yeah. And it's like below 16 miles left, it just flashes and you don't know how many have left. So I I seriously would be like hyperventilating on the side of the road. People are honking and I'm just like, Breathing a little paper bag. Yeah, so the stress was all that. It wasn't about, I'm going to die. Right. That mental, yeah. Exactly. And everything, it seems, it's one of those things, everything seems to hit at once. Yep. You know, just pile it right on. And then the only thing that made me feel better was lifting. I wasn't stressed there. Right. That seems to be the sanctuary. I know that was mine, too. Yeah. And there were days where I would show up, I'd drop my bag on the floor, and I would just feel like absolute crap. I will talk a little bit, and I'd grab my bag and go home. But just coming there and, you know, the smells and the senses and the, the sounds and mm-hmm. everything was just like a sanctuary for a little bit where it felt good. I might not even lift a weight, or I might mm-hmm. do one movement and be like, you know what, I need to go rest. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, that I, I know how you feel. This is like that sanctuary where everything else is blocked out. Yep. And it's just you, the iron, your training, and, and your your uh, companions there that are training with you. Yeah. So, was there any, like, and you see this every day on Facebook and Instagram, everybody puts up their little quotes or memes or sayings. Was there one or two that maybe you just kind of, like, kept in your head to kind of keep you going, or a Bible quote or something that mm-hmm. was just uh Well, it's funny because in the complete, the cancer wellness program, Every morning they would make you say these mantras in the in the mirror. So you needed to see yourself <laughs> saying it and hear it. Wow, I like that. Um, but there were they had all this scientific data proving that it actually improves your all kinds of things, your white blood cells, your energy really? levels, yeah, all kinds wow. of stuff. Like and it actually makes you start healing yourself and it was pretty fascinating stuff. I learned a lot there. But um, they they gave me so many and I, I had so many at once because I just wanted the benefits from all of them. Right. But um, one of them was that I am, uh, what is the word? I want to say vibrant, uh, thriving. Okay. And for some reason, that word represented a lot of what I needed to be. I needed to be like getting better and growing and improving and just thriving. Yes. And so I would use that. You're thriving. You're strong. You're strong a lot. Now, were these on like three or five cars or on paper? Or... Mm-hmm. Okay, uh, well, so... they gave me a list on paper, and then you'd make up your own and add to okay. it. Okay. So. So you just had to stand there and read one at a time or a couple or how did you? As many as you wanted. Okay. Like, it's just part of your, and so it got to where when I was driving to work, I would say it to myself and it, I could feel my heart rate going down when I would start saying it. Like, yeah. Yeah. You're, you're strong. You can get through anything. There's nothing you can't handle. And I believe it. I totally believe it. <laughs> no, I, I'm saying why I used to go through, you know, different quotes or Bible quotes or verses or mm-hmm. something just to get my head. Okay. I'm okay. Mm-hmm. I'll get through this, especially when the stress level started getting up. Do you have any like like funny story or something that 
ridiculous happened at, you know, during your treatment. I'll tell you one when you get down there, and you're going to probably think I'm an idiot. But. <laughs> um, let me think. You know, I want you to go first. Okay. I, I need some time to load this one. <laughs> we, before, okay, uh, my first uh, episode back in 2014, mm-hmm. um, they're getting ready to start the chemo. My doctor comes in, and he's, he's explaining the R-chop. He's explaining the, the cocktail that they're about to give me that first time. Mm-hmm. And real quick, the insurance company that I had was waffling on the tests that he ordered. So he ended up just admitting me to the hospital mm-hmm. to get all the tests done. So I actually had my first treatment in the hospital. So he's telling me what to expect. He said, um, I think it's the Rituxan is the name of it. He said, when you get this, you're going to experience some tremors or shakes. Mm-hmm. Well, that's all he said. He didn't say anything else. I'm just going to leave it at that. Mm-hmm. He just said, expect it. I'm like, okay. So they come in, they hook me up, and this is at night, they turn the lights out, and I'm laying there, and all of a sudden, my whole body from head to toe just starts shaking mm-hmm. uncontrollably. I can't do anything, no matter how much I try to tense or slow my heart or focus. I'm just shaking, shaking, shaking. So they come in, and they do the next IV bag of, of a cocktail of our child, and I told the, the nurse what happened, and she said, why didn't you hit the buzzer? Why didn't you tell us? I said, well, the doctor... Apparently, I should have let them know, and oh. they would have dialed it back to slow the drip, so it wouldn't have been as intense. And I was like, the doctor told me to expect it. So, every time I went to the Hollis Cancer Center for, like, blood work or whatever, my new nickname was Shakes. It, nice. it got around. Everybody heard about it and found out about it, so my nickname was Shakes. And they would laugh, hey, Shakes, thank you. <laughs> and I felt so stupid. It's like the doctor just told me to expect it. Mm-hmm. And I guess that's where that trust is. I'm like, okay, he told me it's going to happen. Yeah. But he didn't say, if it does, tell the nurse that she'll <laughs> slow the drift down. So yeah. it's just, that was, you know, out of all the horrible crap that you got to go through with chemo, I always remember that as, as a, mm-hmm. you know, funny story. So, so mine is kind of a couple in, in one at, um, at that Hippocrates Wellness Center. I mean, there's this group of 13 cancer survivors or who are currently going through it. So we really kind of had a connection there like that you don't normally get. Like right. we're never in a group of that big of people whose lives are so fragile at the moment. You know? So things were taken to a higher level, you know, <laughs> like as far as the way that we communicated, but we also laughed so much. Um, so one of the funniest moments where we, they're doing all these like energy healing stuff, which I try not to be skeptical because I know that there's some foundation to it. A lot of what they gave us, there was some scientific backing to it. Right. So they had this one where we all went into this yurt and we're laying down and this this aborigine comes in with a didgeridoo. <laughs> Seriously? <laughs> yes. What's it called? A didgeridoo. Like one of those long horns. Oh. That's like, yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so the studies are showing that the way that this vibration um, alters your cells, that it can promote healing. Yeah. Here. So he's coming around with the didgeridoo, and like we have to point out the parts where our cancer is, and he's blowing this thing right on the area. So he's blowing this didgeridoo <laughs> on my boob. It was like so awkward, <laughs> and I'm trying not to be immature and like not laugh. You know, I'm like looking over. Now, are you in a group with this? Yeah, Everybody's... all of us are laying on the floor, and he's coming around with his didgeridoo. No way. So this one guy had prostate cancer. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, no way. The guy comes over, and he is just going to town, blowing right all his junk, crunch. like. <laughs> I'm just like, don't, don't make eye contact because I will lose it. Like, we're oh trying so God. hard not to laugh. And I look over, and it's this tube. 
they're uh, firefighters together on the same team, and like they've been hilarious the whole time. And there, you could see them looking up at the ceiling, like trying not. But we all three made eye contact, and we just lost it. Like that poor guy laid on oh our sides laughing. Was he laughing or was he embarrassed? The the, the guy that was getting that. No, the guy that was getting. Oh, that. he was laughing. Was he okay? Yeah. And so uh, he was when we get out, I'm like that's the most action you got in a while, isn't he? He's like, you have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that is funny. That's hilarious. I love it. That poor guy. Yeah. That's funny. Shelly, do you have any any uh, anything to add or anything that uh, you know you were? What was what were we talking about? You were gonna find for me. Oh gosh, remind me. I'm trying to think. <laughs> That's the other thing. My memory since all this is like shot. <laughs> there and I looked this up. There is such a thing as chemo brain. Okay. And it's like a brain fault. You just forget. Mm-hmm. Short term, you just forget. I was sitting by a guy in the break room. You know, throughout my treatment, I would go in like light duty or whatever. Mm-hmm. I'm looking at this guy and he's talking to me and I cannot remember his name. Mm-hmm. And I'm sitting there and I'm almost crying because I'm I'm upset and I'm mad. I'm like, holy crap! But you just you seriously you forget. And it's called chemo brain, but I know that there's other, mm-hmm. you know, like brain fog and stuff from going through the treatment and everything. Well, um, I've done some research on this, surprisingly. <laughs> yes. um, that they think that even though you're under for the surgery, that the trauma uh, your body absorbs and that can contribute to some mental decline, like temporary, yeah. that it'll come back. But it's like your brain shuts off certain areas to protect itself. Okay. Um, so I do feel myself coming back. I feel like a lot of my brain power is coming back. I've actually found this... Um, nootropic drug that I started I want to say like two months ago it's called modafinil Mm. there's a generic word for it that might be the generic one I don't remember but basically it helps to like reboot your brain and like make it stronger Mm. like my memories come back I feel faster on my feet um it's it's pretty cool but there are side effects with anything of course so I I did do some research and I started with half the dose they subscribed and just kind of you know now is that over the counter no, it's a prescription. That is a prescription, okay. And to use it as a nootropic is off-label, so my doctor agreed to do it, to, to try it out. But, okay. Um, it's done like Joe Rogan, um, I think he was one that proposed, proponent of it. Okay. So it's it's kind of out there. Um, what's that other guy that does the podcast um, on it? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's all about modafinil. Um, he, okay. It's pretty cool. My brain has, has rebounded a lot from that, and I'm interested once I wean off how it'll go, but yeah. I'm feeling good. Um. There was something else I was going to tell you. Oh, I know. So because I'm passionate about telling people how much lifting can help them get through not just cancer, but whatever life. Yes, I agree 100%. (laughs) I I mean, not to cut you off there, but I'm I'm the same way. I agree that not just, you know, people going through a medical issue, but just people in general. Mm -hmm. Just, you see it every day no matter where you go. The store, you know, your work or whatever. You just see all these people that have just pretty much stopped or given up. Mm-hmm. on our health and I don't get here I'm going to go off on a tangent <laughs> you know all the way from the moment of your birth your your muscles are growing stronger you just play sports all the way up through high school and maybe college and then boom people stop yeah. it's like you're not done yet you still have another 40 or 50 years to go mm-hmm. and it just it makes me sad that people give up like that and don't realize and it's like you don't have to look like Arnold or live like Brian Shaw or you know or do what we do you don't have to do what we but just do something to stay healthy. Exactly. You know, it, just something. And I think it's important to have measurable goals that you beat um, because it's just teaching you that you're capable of whatever you set for yourself. And yes. the more that you can reinforce that, the more that any obstacle becomes just another one of those that yeah. you can get through. So I am passionate about 
sharing that with people. So I, I'm working on, I've started this new company called The Strength Experience. The Strength Experience, okay. And I want to do uh, some retreats where I I bring in a, an athlete that inspires people. And I want to spend a few days with training with this athlete, learning their ways and getting getting into the lifestyle and just feeling what it feels like to feel strong. Because I think a lot of people that aren't in lifting, they don't, they've never felt what it feels like to feel strong. Yeah. And I really want people to feel that. Like, I think it's a gift. Yes, it is. It is. And people, like you, like we both say, people just don't realize their potential. And there's so many myths out there mm-hmm. that, I, you know, people throw, I don't want to get too, like females, you know, I don't want to get too big or too mm-hmm. whatever. And it, that's, it just doesn't work like that. People don't understand how their bodies work. Yeah. Uh, but that's, I, I love that. That's great. Strength, say it again. The strength experience. The strength experience. Yeah. I like that. Now, are you going to have a website or just maybe a Yeah, Facebook the website page? is up. Okay. Um, so we're working on putting together the first retreat, but there's so much going on right now, too. Um, my friend Julie, I told her about what I want to do, and she said, well, let's let's make a TV show. Wow. Uh, so we're working on that. Um, we're in the planning stages, but what it'll be is me focusing on different sports and the strength aspect of that sport. So basically my message is that if you improve your strength across the board, that it can translate into anything you want to try or do. Yes. So I want people to, to not be scared to try new things because if you have this base level of strength, like you can do anything. Yes. So we have some people lined up already that have agreed to do it. Of course we have power lifters, but um, even weird things like I have a WWE wrestler on board, um, nice. uh, a, BM, a pro BMXer. Um, so to how does your training work? You know, like, and yes. I want to train with them and I want to try their sport and show people like, look, because I have this base strength, I mean, I'm going to fail a lot and that's going to be funny. <laughs> that's, that's okay that's too. Yeah, yeah that's I okay. mean, that's great. And, and people are so afraid to fail. <laughs> right. You know, and like they say, oh, I've seen this say, everything you want is on the other side of fear. Yeah. You know, and people are so afraid to fail, but that's how we learn. There's another saying that I absolutely love is life begins outside of your comfort zone. Yes. Because um, I, so many people are stuck in their comfort zone and they'll, they'll never try out something new and you're not living. Yes. You're existing. That's why I started this. Mm-hmm. I would have never dreamed of doing a podcast, but after going through, you know, two episodes of cancer and all the treatment and, and seeing other people and how well they do, I just felt the need to reach out and start, you know, talking to people and getting them encouraged to, to just start moving. I mean, mm-hmm. it does, something as simple as a walk around the neighborhood. Yeah. You know, and drink more water. I swear. <laughs> I see. You know, you go to the store and you're picking up your groceries and you see all these people with the two liters of Mountain Dew and, and uh, oh, yeah. sodas and just crap. And you're like, drink more water, mm-hmm. please. <laughs> so. And it's funny to me. So many people are like, don't do sodium. Like, they're so afraid of it. And especially if you're training, you need sodium. Absolutely. A lot of them are prescribe five grams a day of sodium and like so many people are holding back and it's actually hurting them yes and they don't well and that goes to the myth mm-hmm. there's so many myths oh yeah that dated thing about heart disease with salt. Yes. Yeah. and it's like your body requires salt yeah. to work and another thing you know with the water i know it's so stupid and silly but it's so important to our health mm-hmm. and our body's performance throughout mm-hmm. the day whether you're an athlete or even if you do live a sedentary lifestyle or you sit in a cubicle all day or, or whatever, you still need water to, to function. Yeah, definitely. You know, and uh, yeah, that's what well, And some people, they'll drink tons of water, but they don't have any electrolytes, so it's going right through them. They're not yes. absorbing any of it. So. And there goes your salt. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Agreed. There goes your salt. So, yes, definitely got to get that out. Well, Shelly, thank you so much for doing this. I truly appreciate it. And strength, experience, Yep. Dot com? Uh-huh. Is that the name of the website? Yeah, okay. and that'll be the show, too, The Strength Experience. That'll be, now, as far as like a TV show, what, what will that be? 
Well, we, we plan to start locally here. Um, it's the Daytona State College channel. It's like a PBS. It's a public television. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, okay. But then they intend to distribute it to a, a larger network. But that we'll have a awesome. season of 13 episodes. That's the plan. No way. Yeah. That is awesome. I love it. Oh, and I get to play with the UCF rugby team. That's another really? one. That's going to be fun, yeah. Wow. So I'm really looking forward to trying all the stuff I've always wanted to do. I, I want to get uh, do the Cirque du Soleil thing, too. That just, would be amazing. Yeah, there's a lot of cool ideas. And if anyone has any ideas, throw them at me. I, I You're inspiring, know. because I'm trying to start this, but there's so much more I, I, I want to do and everything. So that's inspiring to, to get out there. Not just for people going through cancer, but, you know, any kind of, people going through any kind of medical issue. Mm-hmm. You know, all these principles we just talked about can work for them and, and just for I don't want to say just regular people, but you know, people that live in their normal everyday lifestyle. Yeah. All this stuff can work for them if they just apply it. And I think the biggest thing to make sure you're going to get through whatever it is is that you're going to have to shift out of the victim mentality and into the having yes. control. Yes, I, I love that. I agree with that 100%. Everybody thinks, why me? Mm-hmm. Well, why not you? I mean, everybody's you know, going through something. Yes, like, yes. like, you're not special. No, everybody's <laughs> going through something, and it's your, your mental approach, your mental focus of, of how you're going to get past it and, and get through it. Well, thanks for having so, me. It's been a oh, pleasure. Thank you so much for doing this. And strengthexperience.com. Mm-hmm. Make sure you check that out. And thank you all for listening. We'll talk to you soon. This is the Cancer Fit Podcast. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thank you.